podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back, Viola fans. We're certainly riding high off of a 4-1 win that saw a first-half hat-trick by none other than the Soccer God's answer to years of Fiorentina frustration, Dusan Vlahovic. Tito, when was the last time you saw a player blast a shot like Dusan did on that third goal? Holy smokes, Mike! That that was a really, really cool goal. It you could it was fun too because you could see it coming a little bit, right? Like the ball dropped in from Dragovsky. Also, big shout out to Bart for getting a goalkeeper assist. Feel like you don't see nearly enough of those. But yeah, watching Dushan stay on his feet and make that really good turn. And you could see him thinking about three steps before he hit it. Like, oh, oh, I think he might actually give this a shot. Yeah, why not? And then just that slow build towards when he made contact. And when you realize as he made contact, like, he hit that really well. Oh, oh, that's perfect. That, that is what the game should be about. You know, the person who didn't see that coming was clearly the goalkeeper. But even if he did, with the pace and then the bend on the ball, um, Beckham, Beckham right there. Yeah, I, I don't know how he got that to just drop like it did. I don't think that Montipol could have done anything. But holy smokes, that that's the kind of shot you take when you're feeling yourself. That's what we call a heat check. That's, uh, that's Steph Curry pulling up for three from... 38 feet out. I mean, that's just, that's just what you do when you know you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I know we'll be talking a lot more about it. So uh, let's get right at it, bud. Yeah. Do let's uh, don't think either one of us is drinking anything today. Cause we're recording this during work hours and I am yep. taking, I'm taking the month off from drinking anyways. Uh, mostly because of Fiorentina, I think as, started to develop some bad habits so i've got my i got my mug of tea over here so let's jump straight on into the birthdays and we'll start off with one that's actually not super fun in a lot of ways and that is that the day before we're recording this which would have been tuesday the 17th of march was the birthday of stefano borganovo who would have turned 57 uh, he was a Fiorentina striker for several years. He was on loan from Milan his first stretch through and then spent a couple years up front partnering Roberto Baggio. Uh, all in all, made 77 appearances, 23 goals, uh, fringe Italian international. But he's maybe better known and better loved in Florence for what happened after his playing career was over, which was that... In 2008, he was diagnosed with ALS, and his physical condition deteriorated pretty quickly. And despite that, he remained an absolute inspiration, really stayed positive throughout his illness, uh, wrote his autobiography, Atacante Napo, uh, Born Striker, if you get a chance to read it, uh, which he at that point wasn't even able to dictate because his voice, he couldn't use his voice. He figured out how to set up a computer and then write using his eyes, which is incredible. Uh, he died in 2013. He was only 49. Uh, so happy birthday, Stefano. Wonderful guy. There's the, uh, He's got a, a nonprofit dedicated to researching ALS and uh, helping those who are who are dealing with it. 
in Italy. If you're interested, you could certainly look it up. We'll link to it in the episode description here as well. If you want to donate or just learn more, but have happy birthday, Stefano, wherever you are. One of the things that I find that, that just so, I, I don't even know what the word would be, but you know, so many times sports, the, the best moments that come out of them are oftentimes in, in times of tragedy. Uh, we saw that with, uh, you know, Davide Astore and, and, and certainly in this situation, you know, going back to the game where all the players were surrounding him uh, as he was wearing the purple viola jersey and, and you know, pushing him around the field, the, the fan reception. Um, you know, this honestly, this was the first experience that I had with him because I was not a fan going back to the 90s um, when he was here. Um, but but just being able to see the reaction of those players, how much are they, he meant to them and then also to the fans. So many of the, the best moments in sports stem out of tragedy. And it's nice to see at least they continue with uh, the memory of these individuals because it is so lasting and impactful. Uh, and, and we certainly hope that those uh, moments continue. Yeah, that, that's really beautifully said, Mike. I, I don't think I have anything to add. Just Forza Stefano, per sempre. Just, just a real, yeah, just a very important guy to Florence, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Moving on to, well, I would say somewhat lighter, but uh, knowing the man himself, he would probably have <laughs> to say somewhat heavier matters. Today, yep. the day we're recording, uh, Thursday the 18th, is the 40th birthday of one Sebastian Fry who I think for for a lot of fans of a certain age, you know, I'm not going to say how old we are or anything here, Mike, but, uh, you know, he was the iconic goalkeeper for so long, not just because yeah. of those sideburns, because he was he was fantastic uh, and w- was the backbone of those first, that first round of Cesare Prandelli teams that were so much fun and brought so many of us into the viola fold. Uh, I actually did see that Cesare in his uh, in a press conference today wished him a happy birthday and also said hide the sweets from him, which I thought was just fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, what, what what's your favorite memory of Seba? Uh, you know, he was the one that brought all the personality to those teams uh, because I, I think that they had a good mix of older players who were seasoned veterans as well as uh, some of the younger players coming up in, inside of the squad, but. You know, he provided a lot of that flair, a lot of that uh, comic relief. Uh, he was the one always making a lot of the comments that uh, made people laugh uh, post-game and, and sometimes even pre-games in the interviews. Since then, I mean, you listen to any interview he, he has, there, there's always some bit of comedy going on. Uh, and, and we're talking about <laughs> certainly not making a not, not making a situation more light uh, because of, uh, you know, the, the weight issues that, that were there perceived for many, many years. But he did make all of the scenarios more light just by his, his personality and sense of humor. A, another great player who was an integral part of, of everything that those first Cesare years did. Um, but as far as the personality, another guy who has just stayed in the hearts of Fiorentina and the fans uh, because he's just a great guy, you know, and you still see so many times where um, He's speaking up, speaking out, trying to motivate, you know, trying to provide perspective on what it means to wear that Viola shirt. I love that, you know, because we need those veterans who come back and try to motivate a lot of these younger players to uh, to get us to where we, we once were and where we want to be going again. So I think the more that a guy like Fry is involved, the better it's going to be for everybody. For sure. I mean, I yeah, I, I think you're dead on about his personality. I mean, between those that th- those sideburns and the frosted tips and then the uh his obvious distaste for doing any like preseason running i remember watching uh <laughs> watching the squad in preseason one time and everyone's like doing their lap around the field to warm up and fries at the very back about five yards behind everyone and then like halfway down the sideline you can see it, like his face just like, I don't need to do this. He just peels off and goes back to the gold and starts doing his stretching there. And it, it was, oh, I loved it so much. And he's, yeah, he's got a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, another guy who actually had a pretty serious health scare last year, but seems to have come back perfectly healthy, which is wonderful news. So yeah, happy birthday, Seba. 
absolute Fiorentina legend and maybe the guy who started the trend of uh, viola players not getting nearly as many international caps as they should have. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to slightly more current events. And I think that we kind of have to start out with a discussion of Mike's large adult son. I know that you've got all three of those hat trick goals up on your fridge right now. Mike, let's let's I'm just going to turn this over you to you to uh to talk about Dusan Vlaovic for a little bit and how you're feeling about him. So, take it away. Well, I, I think that uh, everybody knows how I feel about him. I think the the most impactful thing that's going on right now is is how everybody's feeling about him. Uh, throughout the course of this year, there has been a lot of sentiment, uh, positive at times, negative at times, but very inconsistent. Right now, there is a lot of consistency around the fact that Dusan Blahovic is the next coming of an insert name. It uh, doesn't matter. He he is going to be the next great player uh, in Europe. He's certainly the next great player for Fiorentina, and he has shown that throughout the course of, of uh, the year. I've also made a lot of bones about the fact that he doesn't have a supporting cast. Uh, Ribery did a great job, um, but the fact that um, Dragowski is the one who's getting credit for a, uh, a an assist, I think is one of the most indicative pieces of this uh uh, this year, from a Dusan Vlahovic uh, standpoint, he needs a lot of support around him, and he should have gotten that because he asked for it directly. But, you know, the, the game alone, uh, I can't remember seeing somebody at the club with that much promise who had a breakout game. And he's probably had a couple, but but this one certainly. I mean, he scored in every single way that you could possibly imagine here, you know, with, with a, a garbage pickup. Uh, you know, just a poacher's goal. And then that blast shot on the third one. It, it's amazing how he's now putting himself in positions to be successful. And he's doing it based off of his skill set, off of his his natural abilities of just how large he is, how fast, how strong, uh, and how he knows the game. Going back into September and October when everybody was criticizing him, we said he just needs to press less rely on your natural God-given ability and how you've trained yourself over the years. Cesare comes in, calms him down, and tells him exactly that. And since then, it's paid off dividends. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the contract side of it, but you know, I think, at least for the first segment, it, it needs to stand on its own how good this player is, how great he will become. Uh, and that performance he put in was just absolutely inspiring i was amazed uh as i saw the first goal the second goal and then that third one was just absolute icing on the cake um i want that cake and i i want to eat it too so you know let's have more and more cake well you've definitely got sebastian fry's attention uh yeah i, I think for me what's <laughs> what's changed most about dushan from the start of the year is his his body language on the field just seems so different i mean if you think back to uh to when he first started scoring all of these goals it was what three or four games into the prandelli tenure or yeah he fiorentina won a penalty he grabbed the ball immediately put it on the spot made it clear that was his did that a couple games in a row and all of a sudden now he's got this attitude that he is he is demanding chances instead of you know when it at the start of the year when he missed a bunch of pretty good chances, he seemed more disappointed in himself than frustrated. And now when he misses a shot, he's not, he's not sad. He's angry. And I really, really like angry Dushan a whole lot. I think that's, that's been great to see also the way that he's not going to ground as easily anymore on that third goal. I think that he easily could have gone down I mean, Camille Glick had his hands all over him. And Vlaovic instead decided to stay on his feet, body him up, try to turn, and I would say it worked out just fine for him. So I'm hoping that that sure did. I'm hoping that that's kind of the start of a new thing where he's he's going to have this new attitude that is 
basically, I am good enough to score the goals. Give me the ball in places where I can do that. And I think that's really the next step for him is he's got, like you said, all the physical gifts. It's just getting that confidence together. And for a a guy who just turned 21 this year and is in what his first season as the full-time first choice striker in Serie A to say, mm-hmm. nope, I'm the man. I'm the man. This is my team now. That's pretty crazy. And I think the fact that he's stepping up and not just saying it, but backing backing those words with his goal scoring record shows you exactly how how limitless his potential is. I yeah. That to me that's been what's most fun is just watching him grow in terms of his body language because you know we don't always know what the tactical instructions are so it's easy to criticize him like oh he should have made that run oh he should have passed here it could very well be that the coaches are telling him like hey don't make that run don't make that pass and then it looks like to us watching that he's messing up when in fact that's could not be further from the truth but the to me the body language and the attitude are the two biggest changes and I have really really enjoyed watching them you know talking about body language and attitude my favorite part of the game was that third goal of his uh the second favorite part of that game for him wasn't the first or second goal it was probably about halfway through the first uh half uh Dushan came all the way back to that right flank uh corner and defended the ball very, very aggressively uh, and, and went scrappy at it with, uh, with a couple of players and ended up getting the ball back for Fiorentina, which allowed for another sprint back in. And, and it didn't turn to anything, but it showed just the tenacity that he has and the approach that he's taken to the game now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. He's not just scoring goals. He's, he's contributing across the board. And, yeah. you know, you, you might think that a player like that uh, should have a contract extension, right, Mike? So uh, 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 I'm just going to trail off here again and let you uh, uh, take over here. <laughs> As I said, we wanted to make sure that we spent the time on the performance side of it because the performance side of Dusan Blahovic definitely warranted us taking time on it. Um, now it also warrants us taking time on what the hell is, is Fiorentina doing. Uh, and we've had a couple of those moments throughout the year. Uh, so here's the latest. I, I can tell you that, uh, and, and you know, you know at this point that I've been sharing this information with you. Uh, going back about a month, um, month and a half ago, uh, I received information that, um, you know, Fiorentina wanted to renew, Dushan wanted to renew, but his agent was pressing to not renew or not renew right now, uh, wanting to get to the end of the season and seeing what's out there in the open market. When you take a look at the open market, it, it's at this point full of suitors uh, and full of suitors that can pay a lot of money. Um, he's right now at this point often uh, compared to uh, Holland at uh, Borussia Dortmund. And uh, rightfully so, uh, I think that uh, Holland has, has definitely got a little bit more attention and, and again, deservedly so. But uh, Vlahovic is, is, I think, growing and blooming, blossoming at a rate that nobody is uh, inside of Europe right now. Uh, and when you look at the difference in salaries, it's really night and day. Um, you hear a lot of what's being released uh, as far as contract renewal talks. I'm offended for Dusan Blahovic. The fact that we're offering 1.2 million on an extension for a guy that's wanted all up and down all over Europe. Um, and this is not just me advocating for as we refer to him, my large adult son, to be getting more money because it keeps it in the family. Not at all. This is giving the man what he deserves before he can go out to the open market. Because if I'm his agent, I'm doing the same thing based off of the disrespect that Fiorentina is showing him. We need to take Vlahovic's wages all the way to the top of the Fiorentina wage chart. 
we have Franck Ribéry, who is an all-time legend, great player, making $4 million, uh, deservedly so, bringing that type of personality into the city, bringing the publicity, the notoriety that comes with it. Wages are well worth it. Um, but the fact is, we have a homegrown player who talks and talks and talks and backs it up that he wants to be in the city, which would be a message to Daniele Prade to renew him. Um, unfortunately, we've let that go and go and go. And here we are. So now we just need to see some action. The action that I would like to see is that Rocco Camiso sits down with, with uh, Vlahovic, which I believe wholeheartedly he will. I will go back to the first time that I met with Rocco. Uh, Rocco mentioned three names uh, when we mentioned as far as um, Bandietta. Chiesa, Castrovilli, and Dusan Vlahovic. Those were the three guys that he identified as carrying the flag for Fiorentina into the future. Uh, so he knew that the potential was there for Dusan and it needed to be backed up from from a uh, renewal standpoint. And, and I do believe, I, I think it has been renewed since then, but it, it needs to be renewed again. So I'd like for Rocco to sit down, speak with Dushan, um, just come to the table with the money that he's due. Let's not insult him. Let's put together, you know, another extension on 4 million. And um, that's going to make a much better situation for Dushan, for Fiorentina fans, as well as the club. Because another year of Dushan performing at this level, another two years is going to see what he's probably worth about 50 to 60 million right now in the open market, maybe more, depending on how the rest of the season plays out and the other suitors that are out there. In, in another year or two, he's easily at the same progression worth 100 to 120 million. Yeah, I, I think. That, yeah, the, I mean, just in terms of giving him a raise, obviously, is huge. I, I think what stands out about this to me is that you're, you're totally right that he and his agent should be looking at other options right now. I mean, it would be irresponsible not to for them, uh, largely because Fiorentina has not shown any ability to push for the European places. And if you're a player like Vlaovic, who's young and is, you know, probably the best striker born in the year 2000 in Europe right now. You pretty much need to be looking at moving to a bigger stage for your own career. And so I think that the two things Fiorentina have messed up here in terms of keeping him, one, uh, putting together a team that can get, get them into Europe and match his ambition. And that's a whole nother conversation that we've had numerous times. But I think the thing that stands out to me here, and I, I wrote in greater detail about this an article on the website, I think uh, yesterday, maybe two days ago, something. Uh, what is time? Uh, yesterday, yep. Yeah. Uh, Fiorentina basically gambled on Vlaovic becoming this kind of striker, right? Like at, at the start of last year, maybe not at the start, but uh, about midway through last year when they decided that Kevin Prince Boateng could leave and they handed that starting job to Vlaovic when he was 19. That was basically the club saying like, all right, we're putting all our eggs in this basket. Like, you know, we are, we are making this gamble and we are hoping that Vlaovic becomes the best player that he can be and as good as we think he can. And you flash forward another year and that's exactly what's happened. And what blows my mind about this is that Fiorentina made this bet, but then didn't do any of the other work to make sure that they could profit from winning the bet. It's like telling, it's like going to a roulette wheel and telling all of your friends, like, hey, I'm putting every single dollar I have, my house, my mortgage, my kids' college funds on zero. And then the roulette wheel spins and it lands on zero, and you're like, oh my god, here I am. I was right, except you forgot to place your bet with the dealer before he spun the wheel. But how can you... The, 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 the lack of foresight here to get him signed to a longer deal with higher wages ahead of time blows my mind. 
if you're if your whole strategy is to gamble and say we think he's going to turn out to be really good why wouldn't you go all the way and give him a raise too and extend his contract for another three years before that happens it i mean i don't know if this is just the fact that daniele prade and joe barone and company didn't think that he would turn out that good or if it's an effort to save money although i really don't think that's it because they've showed a willingness to spend on pretty high salaries i have no clue what the reason is here especially because Vlaovic himself, like you said, has stated numerous times that he wants to commit his future to Fiorentina. How do you mess that up? How do you do that? That's crazy to me, Mike. What? What? Are the, what? what? Well, let's just, let's just go back into, I think it was November, December timeframe, uh, probably early December timeframe, where Dushan is, is vocal about wanting to renew. Number one, uh, number two is having some success. So it was probably early December because it was when he was starting to have some success with, with Cesare and uh, we're going into the Mercado and he's talking about what he wants to see as far as support for him, because he is starting to see some success and he publicly asked, which I was sure that he would probably privately ask as well for some support up top. Um, what do we get? We get Kokorin, who has played 25 games over the last three years, has not been a success in Russia, has never uh, met his potential, and is already 29 years of age. We bring him in while he's injured, while he's not in shape, and pay him $2 million of wages. So we're, we're showing Dushan, who's getting paid much less that uh, he's not as valuable as Kokorin is. And we're also showing him that what Dushan is asking for in support to make this team and himself better is not something that we value by going out and getting somebody who's currently and often injured in Kokorin. Why would any agent try to keep his top player in that type of environment. The environment needs to change. The environment needs to be something that's conducive towards keeping our top talent. We've now seen our top player in Chiesa leave, which we knew that there was a strong likelihood that that would happen. We're now going to see Milenkovic leaving, which we did not think there was a strong likelihood of that happening because like Vlahovic last year, Milenkovic was singing the praises of the city and the club and saying that he wants to renew only to have it play out into his second to last year. And now he's uh, done and, and wanting to explore. So it, it, it is kind of mind blowing to me, the way that things are playing out behind the scenes, as well as the way that they're p- playing out publicly, the image is not a very positive image. And that image needs to certainly change and change quickly how that's going to happen has to start with Rocco as he comes back into the city. He's through his second vaccination waiting period is, is right now, you know, that two weeks until afterwards until you're fully vaccinated. I'm sure he'll be back here pretty soon. And once that happens, he needs to take charge, uh, push some people out of the way and get things done the way that he's used to, which is on his own merit, his own accord, uh, He's a legend in his own right from a business standpoint. We need that legend to step up and help pick up this team. Yeah, let's not forget that he and Dushan have a very good relationship. I mean, besides, like very you good. mentioned earlier, that he name-dropped Dushan as one of his favorite young players. You remember that clip from a, a few months ago of them after training just playing some keepy-uppies back and forth, Rocco in his suit and everything, and it's like it's really cute and it's very sweet, and you can tell that these are two dudes who just like feel good about like being in each other's company. It's very nice. So I, I think that'll help for sure. But yeah, I, I think to me, it's not just a Dushan thing here. Uh, this is just emblematic of Fiorentina in general is if you can't build a project that can get to Europe and get players where they want to go professionally, get them competing on larger stages, 
and then get them more recognition for their national teams, those players are not going to stay. I mean, I know that we talk about how wonderful the bandiera is as a concept, but I mean, in the modern game, that doesn't really exist anymore. You have to, which is great because players do deserve to have the autonomy to choose their own employment situation. That That's not, I'm not at all criticizing that part. What I'm saying is that if you're a team with ambition, which Fiorentina certainly is, you need to create an environment in which players can excel. And right now, Fiorentina has been unable to do that for half a decade. And the result of that is even when you do find really good players or have really good players come up through the academy, they're not going to stick around because it's not in their best interest. And that's that's the system. Like, this is the system as it works. And so to me, that that's the most important thing. It's not just we have to keep this one player. It's that Valovic may be wanting out. And I mean, this could also just be a bargaining position. And he wants to hang on and see what happens this summer. Who comes in as the new sporting director, as the new manager, what what new players arrive, what the shape of the future project is. And he doesn't want to commit himself to anything long term before he sees that again showing great maturity on his part i mean until you can until you can provide those services basically for players they're they're not going to want to stick around i mean you know living in florence is great but uh rome is a cool place to live too milan's a nice place to live turin well is terrible but you know besides that i mean (laughs) you know like there's there's no incentive for players to stick around just because they came through the academy or something. And I think the sooner that teams like Fiorentina acknowledge that and realize that the incentive for players to stay has to be club performance based rather than some intangible loyalty thing, the, the sooner that Fiorentina is going to do a lot better. Well, and you bring up an interesting point on the Bendietta side. Uh, I think that now, especially in the United States, I, I think we're approaching uh, employment. Uh, I think we're approaching relationships uh, from a much more healthy standpoint. Um, the the concept of, of a Bendietta has to also be considered in that, that same lens, meaning having a flag bearer for the team cannot just be a one-way street. It can't be, I want to have a flag bearer. And the expectation is you take on the responsibility of bearing this flag. It has to be that we're investing in you. We're giving you all that you need to be successful. And as a result, you're going to want to be the flag bearer and carry this flag for us, for the city, for the fans. To this point, we have not seen that with Chiesa. We have not seen that with Milankovic. We have not seen that with Vlahovic. Castrovilli did get a renewal, but to the same point, he, my personal opinion, he's not playing in the right position. He's not supported uh, with the right talent around him and oftentimes is paired with Ribéry, which does not work for either of them and, uh, of course, the team. So I think that we need to get it through uh, our understanding that there's a responsibility on our end towards creating an environment that allows for those people who are skilled, successful, uh, the next coming of, you know, and you name it, whoever, um, they're going to want to take on the, the responsibility. And, and to be honest, you know, the, the privilege of being the bandiera. And, and keep in mind, you know, it's not just, if he's leaving, I can guarantee he's not going to Rome. He's not going to Roma. Uh, if he's leaving, he's not going to go to AC Milan. If he's leaving at this point, there's teams over in Liverpool, there's teams over in in London and in Manchester who are eyeing him up and down, trying to think about how they can bring him in because he is that good and he's only 21. So it's not Roma. Whoever's pushing out that information, yeah, they would love to have him, but it's junk. It's garbage. The player's worth 50 to 60 million at this point. And the only teams that are going to be able to do that are beautiful cities uh, in England that pay huge amounts of wages. 
Yeah, I, I do remember the uh, one of the reports, admittedly, from a couple of months ago, I think, that came out about uh, Roma's interest priced Vlaovic at 15 million euros, which I thought was uh, maybe a shade low, let's say. <laughs> we turned down 30 already. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, shockingly, it came from a Roma fan site, so there's that. But, uh, okay. All right, let's let's change gears here a little bit. Uh, while we're talking about building sustainable projects, obviously a pretty big part of that is uh, staying in Serie A for next year. So let's talk a little bit of relegation matters here, Mike. Uh, as things stand right now, and again, this is Thursday that we're recording this, Fiorentina are 13th in the table with 29 points. Uh, 18th place, the final relegation spot, is Cagliari with 22 points. So Fiorentina have a seven-point advantage, and they've also got, what, four teams between them and the drop zone. There are 11 games left. Do you think that relegation is still a realistic possibility? So I know that you and I differed on this uh, on our last last podcast, and, and I don't know if we still will. Um, I think coming out of the Mercado, Torino, Cagliari, um, Parma, even Spezia, did some pretty good nifty, you know, nipping and tucking, bringing in the right players to have a positive impact. Torino, Cagliari, uh, Parma should be rewarded based off of how aggressive they were bringing in some some nice players. That does uh, cause me to have a significant amount of fear. We dropped uh, a full three points to Parma, which should have never happened. We should have gotten six points out of uh, Parma and, and Benevento. Um, Parma is a direct competitor and has been moving up the table just was it yesterday i think it was yesterday or maybe the day before torino was down two nil to sassuolo and i think like after the 79th minute or something along oh. those lines uh, ended up scoring three goals uh, to come back and get a full three points and move into 17th place ahead of cagliari yeah um, thanks sassuolo i don't think yeah <laughs> come on Come on, we need a little bit of help here. Um, but but only, you know, to Fiorentina fans. I mean, that that, that stuff happens. Uh, I, I don't see Cagliari going down. I mean, they just did so much and brought in so many talented players in January. I cannot see them going down. So is Torino going down? They're playing very well. Even, even in a loss before uh, the Sassuolo game, you know, they looked very strong, a lot stronger than they did the first half. Um, so does relegation... Um, do I think relegation is something that's possible? Yes, I, I honestly do. And looking at our competitors, uh, as far as who's, you know, there from, from a, um, uh, option to go down, I think we have some of the more harder games over the next six, seven weeks. When you look at it, Milan, Genoa, which is a, another relegation rival, Atalanta, Sassuolo, who just lost 3-2 to Torino, so maybe there's an opportunity there. Verona, who has been a little bit shaky recently, but is overall a very good team, very, very hard to uh, to beat. And, and Juventus, who we already embarrassed uh, in December, so I can't see them um, going into this game very lightly. So as I look at that, Genoa and Sassuolo are two games that are the Parma and Benevento, meaning we need to win both. Those two games need to be six points. And then after that, I think we need another two points. So a draw at Milan, Atalanta, Verona, and Juventus. Eight points coming out of that, I think that we're in a very good spot. Uh, then we have a couple games following Juventus with some relegation rivals that, um, are, you know, we dictate where we go from there. But I am very fearful because we brought in Kokorin and we brought in Malqui, who um, did absolutely nothing. Thank you, Daniele Prade. And we also loaned out very important players to relegation rivals, which made absolute no sense to me, especially when we brought in nobody to backfill. So I, I just think that um, 
we, we just had no game plan and it shows. And here we are. We're going to rely on Dusan Blavovich, which as much as I love the guy, I think it's very unfair to put all of this pressure on a 21-year-old with absolutely no support and foundation behind him to help lift us uh, into salvation. Do I think we stay up? I do think we stay up in the end, but I am fearful that it's going to be a very, very tough next couple of months. I'm definitely in agreement with you that it's going to be a tough couple of months and it's probably going to be ugly. But yeah, I think you're right. Just looking at the table for me is just proves that it's probably it's probably enough of a cushion by now. I mean, Genoa, Spezia, Benevento, none of them have gotten a win in their last five games. Uh, Torino is turning it around a little bit, which is almost too bad because Urbano Cairo has torpedoed that team so badly as an owner that I'd, I'd almost like to see him get relegated and see him have to sell. Uh, Cagliari, I think, yeah, they had a little bit of a bounce with the, with that new coach, with the new coach, but I think that they're going to sort of regress again to mean. And I mean, yeah, especially with Spezia Benevento, they were both pretty good through the first half of the season. And then I think when they meet teams for a second time, they kind of get figured out a little bit. I mean, when you're new to the league, uh, the the other teams don't really have as much film on you. They don't know exactly how you're going to play. You know, these are, these are professionals. They're really smart. They're really good at this. Once they figure out what you do, they're going to figure out how to stop it too. And what your own weaknesses are. And I think that Spezia Benevento are definitely figuring that out in a big way. That's why they're both plummeting. So yeah, I don't, I really don't see relegation as realistic. I mean, this is Fiorentina. So, you know, there could be like an infestation of locusts at the Franchi or something that sees them docked 30 points. And sure enough, they end up relegated, but I, I don't think it's, believable honestly i mean parma are 10 points back already with just 11 games left i don't think they can make up that ground cagliari are seven points back i don't think they're gonna get three extra wins over over fiorentina i think it's gonna be a little bit like uh what was that two years ago right at the end with montella where it came down to the last day and Fiorentina and Genoa played maybe the most embarrassing scoreless draw I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I don't think it'll quite be at that level, but I think it's going to be pretty. I think I think we're looking at yeah, probably a fifteenth place finish with eight or nine points to spare over the drop zone. No matter what, I, I think all fans um, can share in the sentiment. I, I just think we're all tired, tired of finishing a season in this spot, tired of, of having to be worried about dropping again. You know, I, I think that uh, we always hear, you know, the club talking about Fiorentina fans and the club deserve better. Uh, the expectation for the players is to respect and honor the shirt. I, I think we need to ensure that we're going into the Mercado into next year in preparation for how do we get better? Because there is no doubt in my mind there was not that approach from, from Daniele Prade last um, June, well, which ended up being August. Um, we didn't. You know, we, I, I don't think that anybody could say that we planned on coming into this as an uh, all-star studded team and cast. So, you know, that, that's just one of those things that we need to, uh, to focus on. Yeah. No, I, I think you make a a very fair point. I would say, though, I think some of that was intentional. I mean, you know, the global pandemic, when that started, we really weren't sure what effect that was going to have on on the game itself, on the sport, and where that would leave everyone financially. So I, I think that not spending a whole lot last summer was probably a fairly good decision in a lot of ways even if it was really frustrating i'm with you though that by by january we had a better idea of you know what what the seria a and world soccer landscapes looked like and it seemed like fiorentina could have spent a little more 
but then again, you know, who's who's doing that spending, right? I mean, do you really, really want to empower Daniele Prade to go, I don't know, find some 42-year-old in the Burundian second division and then give him 6 million euros a year? <laughs> like, no. Nah. You mean like, like Cochran? Yeah. Oh, oh boy. I, yeah. I have nothing nice to say there, so I'm just going to shut my mouth. But so, yeah, I, I think to me, this past year is just such an outlier year. If you if you zoom out mm-hmm. a little bit, it's just such a bizarre situation with coronavirus shutting down the whole world and still being a huge deal. I mean, let's also not forget, I mean, in the city I live in, uh, there are 660 odd new cases every day still in the US. I think there's 12,000 ish. I mean, like this thing is not over by any stretch. So I'm willing to cut everyone a little bit of slack on this year, just because it is such a weird thing. And when you get just extremely abnormal circumstances, you don't really know how everyone and everything is going to react. So I'm I'm willing to cut everyone a little bit of slack for this year. That said, if this summer we don't see some whole scale changes, both to the roster, uh, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit and I think we have a piece coming out on the day we're recording this, in fact. So probably by the time you listen to this in the past few days about who the key squad members are. And I think our whole staff identified maybe like half a dozen guys uh, which is not great. But yeah, I, I think that if we don't see the squad and then also the management both on the touchline and in the in the back office completely remade, I think at that point I'm going to be ready to have a small riot. But until then, I'm willing to kind of hold off on being super critical. But again, I understand... You know, I, I'm taking oh, a look... No, no. So, so on your point, I'm, I'm, I'm just taking a look and, and watching CNN as we're recording. Uh, 22,000 cases already today by two o'clock Eastern time. Uh, so that'll give you an idea. Uh, and then, you know, just not to, to keep things in a perspective of the U.S., because I know as things are coming down and it's all perspective. I mean, we were doing 200,000 cases a day and now maybe we're doing 30 to 40,000 cases a day. Um, you know, Italy has bounce back and forth between orange and red uh, for the past few months. And now they're having some vaccine issues with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which does make things a little bit worse. But, you know, back to your point, you know, I, I can certainly, I guess, understand and empathize from, from the, the summer Mercado uh, done in August. Uh, but we still spent, we gave away a lot of wages. Uh, you know, Kelly owned getting 2 million uh, and yeah. then coming flash forward into December, uh, you know, bringing in Cochran, uh, which in my opinion was not a strategic purchase. I think it was just a reach because we had nobody else that we were talking to who wanted to come in. And as normal, Daniele Prade waits until the last 48 hours of a Mercado to, to go to work. Um, so he was the only player that was available. Why? Cause well, Putin wanted him out of Russia. He was having huge wages on his team and not playing. <laughs> uh, I love and, that you and, brought Putin into it. <laughs> that was that was honestly one of the articles I read. Was at some point uh, a couple of years ago, Putin was thinking of of uh, tossing him out of the country, which I, I thought <laughs> was just absolutely hilarious. Um, and you know, so we we do sign him and bring him in for for two million. So we're assigning wages there. Malquis coming from Napoli, so he's not making you know cheap wages. Um, it, it, it just, and, and neither one of them helped the squad moving forward while we were at the same time helping our relegation rivals improve their squad. That to me is the mortal sin of the story. It shows that there is not any thought in the moment and there's no forethought for what's yet to come because I'll give them, you know, I think we were sitting at 10th at, at some point during the Mercado in January. And we were just coming off of a Juve win. There was a lot of excitement and it was going to build. But during that time of the Mercado, we started losing and we started drifting down to 15th and 16th place. 
that should have been an indicator uh, of somebody in the, in the squad saying, hey, listen, you know, we know we've been public. Here's what we need. Just go get us these players. Like we need uh, a very talented midfielder. I mean, look at our midfield depth and, and how decimated it is by injuries and by suspensions. Uh, Igor goes out with a, an injury and that is impacting our back line uh, depth and, and starting options. Um, you know, Calion is signed and, and playing here, but when, when was the last time he played any meaning, meaningful minutes? And I think he did during the, the um, Mercado. He had that one really good game where he had a cross on the ground, of course, not in the air. Hey. Baragi. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, was slotted home. Um, but it, it, it just, again, it comes back to the fact that Fiorentina fans go to the end of a season feeling the stress on their shoulders, on their back, and it's undue. There's no need for us fans to be stressed out every year wondering what Seti B looks like. How are they going to follow the club while they're in Seti B? And how do I cancel my ESPN membership so quickly because I won't be able to see the, uh, the squad for a year? Yeah, I'd- I mean, almost ready to cancel that anyways, because their broadcasts frequently don't start on time Awful. and all that. Yeah, I don't know how you can and they be, break. I don't know how you can be the worldwide leader and not be able to provide a quality product to someone who. I mean, yeah, they, they're just they're just robbing me. Well, every, and I don't think it's their month. fault because they're no. they're they're literally buying the feed from, uh, and I forget who it is, uh, I'll, I'll look it up, but they're buying the feed from the supplier over in Europe who bought the rights, and uh, we just have the distribution rights. So when it breaks, it's not an ESPN fault, but you would think ESPN would be like, hey, man, you need to get your stuff together here. You're ruining the product and our reputation. Yeah, you, you can't tell me that ESPN can't lean on people a little bit and get some kind of result. That uh, it's Yeah, those, those broadcasts are frequently very bad. Yeah, uh, get the mouse involved. But hey, on the plus side for Serie B and for next year's prospects, you did see that uh, Yusuf Mala, who's Fiorentina bought uh, in the winter and then loaned back to Venezia, scored a really, really good goal uh, last week. So hey, at least there's that to look forward to. You know, I, I've, I've said this before, and I think it's just from my lack of, of knowledge on him. You know, I haven't been convinced that that that's the signing we need to get excited, partly because I've been so excited about uh, Samuel Ritchie. Uh, and, and I would love to see him coming in from, from uh, Empoli here. And he should have come in, you know, probably the past three Mercados. And here I am frustrated. So um, <laughs> I guess I take out part of that, uh, which is a fear that we won't get Ritchie and we're going to allow uh, Malay to, uh, to replace him, which may not be the case. And maybe we can get both, but, uh, Richie's the the next guy I'm ready to fall in love with. Fair, but I mean, on the other hand, Yusuf Mala does have some really really good hair. It's like sort of feathery, a little bit curly. <laughs> he wears it long and sort of slightly slicked back. It's it's really splendid. So I am looking forward to that at least. Huh. Who does that remind you of? Hey man, uh, we're moving to phase three in about jeez uh, a week. I think the the twenty second is when the uh, the governor said they were going to move to the next phase, and at the start of quarantine, when I thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks because I'm a moron, uh, I said, "Oh, I'm just not going to get a haircut until you know we go to phase three. It has now been more than a year, and you better believe that if that if the uh, if the phase moves on the 22nd of March it will be no later than the 23rd that I'm going to be sitting in a barber's chair and getting someone to do something about all this cuz I did I made a promise Bobby to myself that has nothing on you uh, well I think he has quite a few things on me actually but <laughs> uh, yeah I made I made a promise to myself and I made a promise hair. to myself and everyone else like yeah I'm just not going to cut it until we get to phase 3 and what a moron what kind of idiot says something like that am I right it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. You have a beautiful lines, man. I love it. Well, uh, what else we got to talk about here, Mike? You know, I, I think it's uh, probably just rounding it out. You know, we talked a little bit about transitioning into next year. So let's assume that uh, we stave off releva- uh, relegation here and, and we're now preparing 
we hear a lot of coaching rumors, a lot of player rumors. In, in your opinion, what do you think that the cl- a club needs to start doing now in anticipation of uh, coming out of uh, this season, staying in Serie A and going into the Mercado and next year? Man, so just to start with, uh, I thought you were going to say if this club does escape revelations and I was just imagining the end times and that does feel like an apt metaphor for Fiorentina just constantly. <laughs> so I, I really, really liked that. I thought you were just going to run with it. Uh, uh, right. Anyways, next year. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you're right about Rocco coming in and grabbing some people by the scruff of the neck and uh, doing a little bit of light shaking. Uh, I, I think that Prade probably does need to go. He's exploded this team's wage scale and not really gotten any results for it. I mean, Ribéry, obviously a fantastic player, but he's playing as a striker and has scored, I think, three or four goals for this club in the past year and a half, which isn't going to do it for a striker. Uh, Callejon, complete wit swing and a miss. Uh, ditto for Kevin Prince Boateng. Uh, Borja Valero, I'm not going to count against him because that felt like more of an emotional thing. So, yeah, I, I would say that the first step has to be sitting down with uh, with the board and figuring out what the goals for the club are, short-term, mid medium-term, long-term, putting together... A, a coherent timeline and vision for to attain all of those goals and then running some studies on who's going to help you attain those goals and I would really hope that all that work has already started so that as soon as the final whistle goes against Crotone on match day 38 those wheels can start turning and we can start seeing a lot of things change so yeah, for me, the, the first thing has to be getting a new DS and then finding a coach who will work well with that DS and who will synergize. And then those two spending, I don't know, a month to sort out who they want to keep and who needs to go and who they want to bring in and then implementing that plan in the summer. And I think if that doesn't happen, we're going to have to stop acting like Fiorentina deserves a place in the Europa League due to past achievement and just accept that this is now a club vaguely the size of Udinese that happens to pay, you know, an extra 80 million euros a year in wages and is just one of the worst run clubs in Italy. I hope we don't get to that point. Um, And since we're, transitioning on a down <laughs> down note uh, I guess I'll start there and hopefully get better um, you know on <laughs> on the Daniele Prade side um, you know I think I've been as vocal uh, and probably more vocal than I should be on my <laughs> displeasure of the the moves that he's made and the uh, effort that's gone into it I, I just think it's 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 farcical uh, so uh, here I am again, uh, going a little bit further than I should, but it, it is farcical, the job that has been done in his position over the past two years. Um, the the news that I heard, and this is going back about um, about a month here, is that with the exception of a coach coming in, a strong coach who dictates the amount of money that goes into the Mercado and who's spending it with that exception of a sorry coming in or somebody like that, the likeliness that Daniele Prade stays is still very high. Oh no. So I hate that. Yes. Uh, didn't want to get negative, but you went there. So I just figured like, let's just throw it on everybody. Oh wow. Um, yeah. That, that the, feels terrible. It, it does, especially for me, <laughs> you know, could the role change oh, um, quite possibly, uh, you know, that I, I know I've seen a couple stories out there about putting somebody with him. Um, but I think the biggest hope is that Fiorentina is able to attract a coach 
who dictates how much money goes into the Mercado and who spends it, meaning they're going to bring in their own DS. Best yeah. case scenario, in my personal opinion. Yeah, that really sounds like it now. So I guess we, oh boy, I guess we're really hoping for Sari or Spalletti at this point, huh? Somebody along those lines. Oh um, boy. You know, I'll, I'll go into maybe a, a better side of the story. Uh, and I'll go back to, again, one of the times that I met with Rocco. Um, you know, Rocco told me a story that, uh, you know, as he bought the club, one of the better things that, that he took away from it was uh, that he now gets to come in and save it because the, the Della Valle uh, put the club in a position where we were in relegation battles year over year over year. And uh, the, the fan confidence in the club was so low that he coming into it just gave so much joy and exuberance and, and created an environment of, of, of happiness that wasn't here for at least a couple of years. Uh, I think that we're actually in that system or, or that, that uh, scenario in like a 2.0. There's an opportunity for Rocco to come in and be the true savior, even two years after he's purchased the club. And I think that that's the scenario we need to be in. You know, Rocco needs to come back into Florence. And the idea has been that he wants to spend much more time had it not been for the pandemic and a lot of the issues going on in the United States and certainly over in Italy, he, he would have been spending a lot more time with his son and, and he and his wife would be over there more. Uh, I think, you know, we're getting to the point where he's vaccinated. We have a better understanding of what the future looks like and his desire is to go back and spend more time there. We need that to happen. We need Rocco to take uh, the bull by the horns here, uh, reshape the way that uh, the administration works, uh, allow Barone to work under him for a little bit, um, find the right players, find the right coaches, find the right director of sport, because we know we need a new one. We know that Cesare Prandelli is not going to be there. We've talked about him going into more of an administrative role, which is his desire and has been his desire since he came back to the club in, in December. Um, and, and the only one who can really save us now is, is Rocco. And, and the nice part is, is Rocco is very, very capable of doing that. And he gets joy out of saving things like that. I mean, he wants to be uh, the savior and, and he has every opportunity to do that. So I think that it's very important. Rocco comes back, uh, takes over, takes charge, and just does things the Rocco way because he gets things done. Is he the most soccer literate in, in Serie A? No, but he needs to now go and find those people who can uh, help him get us to back to where we need to go. Uh, and then, you know, the other aspect that I'll say is, you know, back to the stadium. Um, we have an opportunity, you know, on, on uh, Beulah Nation to uh, uh, join the um, uh, protests uh, for the Centro Sportivo, uh, along with ACCVC and, and ATF, uh, which we'll push out uh, here over the next couple of days. If you want to sign that, you certainly can. But I think that we need to get back to what, what makes those fans very good. It's not protest letters. Uh, I would ask publicly that the ACCVC and ATF, particularly those people in the city of Florence, start getting a little bit more demanding with their voice. Um, we have Gianni and we have Nardella. Um, Gianni recently was elected. Nardella will be coming up for election before him. Uh, these fans need to mobilize the way that they did in sitting in front of the Della Valley store in uh, Florence, which Rocco admitted was one of the biggest reasons to get the Della Valley to sell as quickly and for as little as they sold for. Um, we need those fans to get a little bit more forceful in their approach and whether it's having a protest in front of Nordella, uh, mobilizing their fans to not vote for these people. Uh, there has to be a lot more pressure put on the politicians inside of Florence and inside of Tuscany to advocate for one of their biggest products outside of the art and the architecture and the food and the wine and the people in Florence, it is the Viola Fiorentina. They need to be advocated for much, much more. And I hope that the fans get back to the point of action rather than just signing letters. So those are a couple things that I'm going to leave us with here 
glad to get your your thoughts and opinions. I, I think I'm pretty much just with you. And I think that's probably a good place to leave it, honestly, is uh, setting it up for Rocco to come in, re-energize, re-energize all the supporters, uh, kick this team up a level or two, and just imagine in 10 years when we look back on this, hopefully, and say, like, hey, you remember those first two years of the Camiso era and how we were expecting terrible things in relegation? Pretty crazy that now we just won the Champions League and that's how it started, right? And let's, let's just hope that's where it ends up. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it it probably won't happen, but, you know, I think we could all use this right now. So, yeah, I'm willing to call that, uh, I'm willing to call that a day, Mike. How about you? That works, bud. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.